Hello everyone and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast. It is the preview for the Tuscan Grand Prix at Magello, which is happening this weekend. Um, we will also be having a look back at some of the news that came out last week. Uh, some, some before Monza, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it because it was such a bonkers race in the Italian Grand Prix. Um, but first, I am here with Freddie Coates and Nigel Chu. How are you, fellas? Pretty good. Yeah, cracking. Great. Um, so we'll start. <laughs> How are you, Adam? Adam? Oh, thanks, Freddie. Yes, I'm all right. See, the thing uh, is, we, we come on before this, so we all know we're okay. You don't have to... Yes, but, you know. yeah, but the millions of listeners don't know <laughs> viewers and listeners don't know our personal lives, Nigel. They're not just our parents. <laughs> um, we will, speaking of which, we will start with some family news and the news that Williams <laughs> came out last week. That's oh. brilliant. That Williams, the... Claire Williams and Frank Williams are stepping away from the team in light of it being taken over by Doralton Capital. It's the end of an era for F1. It's the last family-owned team are not family-owned or family-run anymore. Um, so what were your guys' reactions to that, Freddie? Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? It's the last sort of big beast of Formula One sort of going with Frank Williams. I mean... Bernie and him and Ron Dennis are sort of the last ones and they've they gradually filtered out and now so Frank was the only sort of link back to like old school Formula One now now it's just names with McLaren and um, Williams of course and Ferrari you're right Um, and it's it is sad to see a team that's been involved in Formula One we're celebrating all the 70th anniversary this year and since year 27, I think, Williams has been there. And since years before that, Frank Williams was entering private-owned teams from like Frank Williams Racing and stuff like that before Williams Engineering basically came in as, a, as its own entity then and is now <coughs> out. Um, it, I think, yeah, I think Williams as a team is one that has a soft spot for the majority of Formula One fans because it's a family-owned team, because it's, it's such a heritage team that it's it's got that everyone's got that relationship with the team and it's sad to see that end but it's it's a privilege to have been able to see it yeah it was inevitable i guess that claire williams and frank williams would have to step down but it did come earlier than i thought it would happen and it was you know kind of emotional on the sunday uh with the team radio from george uh, george russell and nicholas latifi uh, on the radio and yeah, an end of an era after 40 fantastic years for an independent team to have won as many races and world titles as they have. Yes, they haven't had that kind of success recently, but I still think there's very, very few people or teams that could have come into F1 like this and been so successful and done what Williams have done over the last 40 or so years. So yeah. We'll see what happens with them over the next few seasons, but it's a kind of a sad time for F1 to, to lose the, the Williams names, I guess. Yeah, it kind of feels like, I mean, over F1's been becoming globalised for a long time, but this feels kind of a quite a big marker point in that journey. Um, and tied into that is kind of the more international ownership of teams and yeah as you 
as you mentioned, the Eccleston and Ron Dennis and Ken Tyrrell, who were all kind of involved in it before. And now it's, yeah, um, branching out in some ways. And I think it is, it's very sad to see them go. I think, as you said, Nigel, it is inevitable that it had happened. Um, do you think kind of it will affect the way they progress from here? Do you think it was, if they'd stayed, would they have been, you know, following Dorothy and Capital's lead anyway? Or kind of how do you think this will affect them, if at all? Yeah, I think that's the reason why Claire has left, because I'm guessing Dorothy would have come in and said, right, we're running things, you can remain, but you won't actually have power, even though you'll, you'll still effectively be the deputy team principal. So she's kind of left on her own terms in that sense, because she still does want to run the team. Uh, so, yeah, that's my answer to that one. Yeah, I uh, yeah I can only echo that. I think it's been very well publicised recently that Doralton did want the Williams family to stay on board and they've bought the family-owned team. And, you know, they're happy to keep it as a family-involved team because that's what's given Williams a lot of their value. Um, but Williams uh, have been very adamant in recent years that they wouldn't want the, t- the team to be sold not to be a family run team and now that it has to be sold has to have been sold then it does really sort of spell the end for it as a family owned team and they've they've gone out on their own terms in in a very very good way I think that have got a good payout as well I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah and there's a lot of emotion as you say Nigel with George Russell's radio message and Claire Williams firing up the car and then um, yeah. uh, um, kind of navigating Nicholas Latiti out of the garage for a job that's normally kind of one of the chief mechanics or engineers. Um, but yeah, it's kind of end of an era and it probably, if it had been last week at Spa, then it probably would have been a bit of a bigger story. But with everything that went on in the race, it got overshadowed a bit post-race. Um, have either of you got anything more you want to say on this? Uh, well, we've got Simon Roberts coming into the team. Uh, sorry, not coming. He's becoming team principal and he was previously at McLaren for quite a few years or so. Mm. I think that's a good move to bring in some experience. Of course, it's a brand new role for him, so it'll be interesting to see how they get on. And as I mentioned with Freddie a few weeks ago, I'm just hoping Doralton Capital don't come in for a few years, then, you know, uh, get a, what do you call it? Get get some money, I guess, and then they'll yeah. just leave again. And then someone else will have to buy them in. It will just keep going on in a cycle. I really hope that doesn't happen. But I, that's what I fear because it is a private uh, funding company. Mm. So I don't, I can't see them staying in for the long term. That's my only fear. But that said, Williams have progressed from last year to this year a lot on the track so hopefully with an injection of money we can see them carrying on and who knows with the 2022 rules if they find something if they uh, you know uh, go down an area and other teams don't and it pays off anything can happen yeah all I will sort of to add on to that it is a bit of a a weird one for an investment firm to yeah buy a Formula 1 team and I think because it's a Formula 1 team which is you look at it as a loss-making entity. I think it's going to be the biggest, the most interesting, the most sort of obvious impact from Liberty on team ownership 
with the budget caps coming in and everything, they want to be able to have teams turning a profit from Formula One. And so if that can become the norm with Doralton appearing to buy into that, then even if they are coming in and then going to do it up and sell it for more later on, that will be as a product of Liberty's new Formula One. Yeah, and that's a good point. I think that if that's, that's probably their mindset with it, their focus for they're putting so much money into this, they've got to be, um, that to have actually purchased the team or whether it was in the north, 100 plus million, presumably, I think. So I think that would be, it, it, it will work if Liberty's new Formula One works. So I've got a little bit of faith in it, but it is a fear, like you say, Nigel. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bad examples in football, especially of kind of people taking over teams for an investment mm -hmm. and just completely ruining them. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see how that goes with F1. And I know you both discussed it a few weeks ago. I think it's also sad for F1 and the image of F1 and people wanting to come into F1 that the female team principal has gone yeah. now um and especially with the lack of kind of female drivers and you know prominent females in roles or women in prominent roles um you know like we said with hamilton it's not a diverse sport at all and kind of the image you see is mostly white men in kind of you know most most of the things that the tv cameras focus on all of that i think it is yeah. a shame through that and we just have to hope that kind of that does change in the future yeah definitely um the manisha counterborn when she was salvatine principal i was very sad that she left because i thought she did a really good job it's debatable with what claire's but even still i think she's done a pretty good job as well because in 2014 2015 williams were you know, second, third best team, challenging Mercedes, yeah. the wins and stuff. Yes, the last few years haven't been great, but even, like I said, this year, the, the coming back towards the midfield. So I do think Claire gets too much criticism. You know, some of that is unfortunate just because of who she is, which I think is just a bit weird and silly. But, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right, Adam. It's a, it's a shame that uh, a big uh, role model for women... Uh, has gone and left F1 and hopefully we can have more people like Claire and she's inspired women to go on to do something similar what to what she's done over the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, I, th I think the... She comes in for a lot of criticism, as you say, and Williams has nosedived over the last few years. I think that's really where the kind of lack of money made the difference was that yeah, they just yeah. weren't able to recover you know kind of when it was all going okay they were able to you know maximize their performances from that but you know whereas we've seen kind of mclaren be able to overcome their dip and ferrari i imagine will too because of you know just the financial might that's there i think that's mm. just where william struggled and that one bad decision or one bad season kind of was compounded then by not you know having yeah. having to make some financial decisions that weren't best for the team but you know they had to weigh that up um yeah. for that you can trace that back in williams history we talk about it yeah. in the heritage family team and the the um the 
the aura that comes with that is something that was with McLaren up until Bruce McLaren's death in the 60s, I think. And then that became a an owned team by a guy called Teddy Mayer, who's um, an American, who's a businessman. And around this sort of time was when Williams were sponsored by Saudia, who were by Saudi, I think, were a big sort of brand. The sort of green and white Williams uh, inspired from that color scheme from that sponsor. But they wanted Williams to go down the route of what McLaren is now, having made sort of sports road cars and being a brand as well as an F1 team, whereas Williams wanted to be an F1 team and stayed with that. So they sort of, the people behind that jumped ship to McLaren. And now that's why McLaren is where it is. They got in Gordon Murray for the F1 um, sports car and supercar even. And now McLaren is, you know, the MTC, the, the, the Ron Dennis mobile still and all of that. So Williams chose to go down the route of we're a Formula One team, not the route of we're a massive brand which they mm-hmm. arguably could have done at the time. But I think testament to Williams is they did that and they carried on. They're, they're, in terms of championships, they're more successful than McLaren. So um, that's worked out for them there. Um, but in the long run, they haven't been able to pick up back from it. But still, McLaren's still been a business all that time, not a family. So the family business is racing for Williams, not mm-hmm. building road cars or anything. And I think all you can really trace to them being in a bad position now is that they took a risk in 2018 with their car then because they had gone for the kind of sort of low drag perspective, which is what got them great positions with them with their OP Mercedes engine in, in 14 and 15. A little bit in 16 and 17, they were reaping the benefits later on with that two fifth places in the constructors, which is still very good. It's still basically what Renault is like now. And we, Renault is a monster team still kind of with the manufacturer backing so um williams is only in a bad position and now has got the worst constructors prize money because they took a risk with it and unfortunately with paddy low it just didn't really work out yeah 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 i'd love to know what happened with paddy low and mm. the exact reasons why he left and what happened with maybe him and claire and stuff like that maybe we'll find out in a book or something in <laughs> 10 years but yeah, I think that Paddy losing Paddy Lowe was definitely a key key thing for Williams and it's part of why they were at the back last year. So yeah, I'd love to know what, what went on behind the scenes last last one. No, Paddy last sailing then. Yeah. 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 I mean that was one of my favourite moments of Drive to Survive was when they turned up with the car and then and like Claire Williams has been there. I think since the start of testing and is furious. Paddy Lowe comes kind of when the car came, I think. Travelled out with it. Um Paddy, and Claire Williams the, flew through the yeah. flew from the UK with it yeah. in her suitcase. Yeah. But it's the and it's the first kind of time they've met um since it became since the car didn't make it to testing and Paddy's just kind of there bringing her a tea, like, Oh hi Claire, how are you? And she's just absolutely furious with him. Um and yeah, I mean yeah, we couldn't dissect that all we like but I think it's it's a shame that Williams is ending and we all hope that they can get back to fighting in the middle and the front in the future Um, the other piece of team news that came out last weekend was Renault are rebranding as Alpine the sports car brand of Renault kind of it's been it was there in 
the 60s was it or it's kind of there historically it kind of lay dormant for a while and then they mm. kind of started it back up um within the last few years and launched um one car or one model of car which i've not written down the name for um the a110 a, a a i think i don't know how you yeah it. and it was Indeed. it was like and it was a bit like the kind of new Fiat 500 or VW Beetle that it's based on the old Alpine. Um, but do we think this is going to kind of change anything at Renault? How do you think it will impact them? It's a colour scheme thing, isn't it? It's marketing. It is marketing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. good for them for doing it. I mean, fair enough. That's what you've got a Formula 1 team for. Um, use it, <laughs> frankly. And they've, they've done... They've, they've, set out to resurrect this Alpine brand. The, the A110 reunion car was brought out in 2017 and they've been sort of steadily bringing out um, different versions of that, little sportier version, little sort of, you know, rallier version, if you will. Um, so I think that they're presumably going to expand that brand even more, which is why they've done it. And I mean, fair enough to them. It's like mm. calling, it's like Ferrari using a stake in Sauber to call it Alfa Romeo. It's a bit like Alpha Tauri, kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not exactly the same, but mm, giving yeah, it a brand. Yeah, it. yeah, promoting it as a brand. Nigel, what are your thoughts on it? Well, this gives me a chance to maybe give our video title for this, which is Fernando Alonso has left Renault to go to Alpine. Oh, so, <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what colours they have. It'll be French Tricolor, I think I read on Sunday. Uh, they'll use and. Yeah, we might see the old blue and yellow livery from 2005, something similar to that. And with Alonso back, it'll be, it'll be great. But yeah, Renault left F1 again. Just disgraceful, isn't it? God. Yeah, I, I think like you, Freddie, I quite like it in terms of what they've done with it. And mm. yeah, they'll have a, they're using it as marketing. It sounds Renault will be kind of the engine provider, but they'll still also be running the team effectively Cyril Abitable is still involved in it he's kind of managing the project of kind of moving it over to Alpine it sounds like it's kind of part of a wider um, yeah. uh, restructuring in Renault yeah. car company well, yeah um, it's been a big thing in Renault since Carlos Ghosn who was the um, group chairman of Renault Nissan um, since he was arrested in Japan there's been a little bit of, we need to sort of distance from that. So the guy, I think, oh, what's he called? Something Mayo. I want to say Mayo. Claude. Chicken. Claude. Claude Mayo. He's not called Claude. <laughs> God, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, since the group chairman of Renault was uh, arrested and then tried to flee to, I don't know, Estonia or something, I think, I can't remember. Some weird story. Um, they've distanced themselves from that and are now bringing in the new guys sort of restructured it a bit. Uh, Cyril Abitbull wants to stay racing, but he's been put in charge of the Alpine marketing brand, but he's going to stay racing, I think, because um, that's all what he's done for his career, pretty much. And it's, it's, I agree. It's a very, a very good move for them. The Alpine as a car recently has kind of gone under the radar as a very good car. It won the Top Gear Sports Car of the Year award. Didn't it catch um, fire in the Top Gear test? It did, but they've done better since then, is their point. Um, <laughs> it caught fire in a... Most improved. Their prototype version caught fire. I think it's the prototype version on, the, on like the Monte Carlo rally with Chris yeah. Harris at the wheel. But all Does these people... Have, in it as well? Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, 
lots of people who know about it like it. Can't say I'm ever going to drive one, I don't think, because that's, you know, student life. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but I think it, people seem to really like it, but it's gone a bit under the radar. So I think that they're just trying to big up their profile a bit by using Formula One, and they've got their LMP2 team, Signatech Alpine as well. Then, fair enough, good for them. That's a bit of a ramble, but there we are. Okay. And if we stay with Renault, because we didn't really talk about them too much last week, um, but we thought we'd touch on it this week before and kind of tie that into looking ahead to Mugello. But it was a disappointing weekend for them last weekend, I think, kind of in terms of their expectations coming into it and post-Bar and Silverstone. um, Kind of what do you think that will be different at Mugello? How did you... Do you think they should be disappointed with last weekend? Yeah, well, you called it Adam, didn't you? You you said, oh, do you think they would they wouldn't have such a good weekend like they did at like they did at Spa? And unfortunately, they were just on the wrong side of the stop clock, the wrong because I think between third and ninth or something, there was only two temps between the, the, those positions, and Ricardo was somewhere in the middle. Uh, the pace looked okay, but. McLaren, I think, surprised everyone with the pace they had with Sainz and Norris. For this weekend, I think McLaren was, will be ahead of them because of the high and high medium speed turns. I think Renault is very good in the low speed turns, which is why I think they were fastest in sector one. I think out that Monza, not too sure about that. But uh, yeah, I don't expect Renault to be leading the mid pack this weekend. Yeah, it was a bit disappointing. They sort of labelled it as their best opportunity in Monza based on the Spa form and based on some of the Silverstone form. But, um, I mean, they seemed to sort of just fall back just due to events as well with Ricardo. But with Ocon, it was yeah. disappointing. Um, I can't remember Ocon's qualifying position. I think it was like 12th or something. I might be wrong. But um, uh, Ricardo, who did, did get up to fifth in the first opening stages, and was still going to be in the fight with um, with Perez and Norris going up if the pit lane situation hadn't happened. And if it had all been a normal race, he would have been in the fight for the high midfield positions and the podium kind of thing. But I think circumstances transpired against him, but it was a bad weekend for Ocon based on that. Um, but for Ricardo, lots just played against them and they weren't able to capitalise, frankly, in the way that others were. And it didn't pay off due to the hype that was there for them, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah they kind of brought that a bit along themselves. Yeah, they did. The they believed hype it. That they, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually think they might have a better weekend this weekend, just, you know, based off inconsistency. But <laughs> I don't know. I guess it, would Mugello, I don't know too much about it, but would it be closer kind of to Spa profile? No, I don't think so. I think it'd be the a bit middle more like Catalonia. Like, the middle sectors like Spa is going to be so quick. I can't wait to see the cars. Cars there, sixth, seventh, and eighth gear corners. It'll be incredible. And gravel traps as well. Like, be not a lot this of flat silly. Corners. I'm not. I think. I some, think the back sector will be like there's some quite fast sort of double right handers. Yeah, the double right handers. Yeah. They'll be flat. Arabiata. I think. Arabiata. Yeah. Named after the pasta dish. Pasta Maldonado. <laughs> <laughs> if you think he's no. dishy, you go for that. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure. We'll have to see how yes. It will be a really quick clap. And what I will say is, uh, I think this is a track. I'm just so glad it's back because this is a proper driver's track for Jello. And they'll really, you know, show who you can get out of the blocks well, have a good car early on, and build up through the weekend. It'll be like Monaco in, in that aspect where the drivers to keep finding the rhythm and risking a bit more here and there. I think you're right with that. The track's going to be one of those ones that is just going to be, the drivers are going to be really like trying to find new limits with it. Cause it mm. And there's an extra element to it that this track will absolutely break them. Mm. They, um, they did a test there, I think 2012. And some of the drivers said, wow, this is amazing. We've got to drive Formula One cars. It is such a good track for them. We're absolutely destroyed though. <laughs> And yeah, I think Vitaly Petrov actually was furious, but um, hmm. he's not in Formula One anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, and Mark Webber, um, when they did that test, he said something like 10 laps of Mugello in the dry is the equivalent to 1,000 laps of Abu Dhabi, which <laughs> I guess is all you need to know about the state of F1 as much as Mugello, but it will. it will be a brilliant spectacle to watch. Do we think the race is going to be a good kind of thing to follow. Do you think it will be entertaining? I mean, there's one DRS zone. It's not, I don't think there'll be too much overtake, but what do you think about the prospects of a good break? To be be honest, I don't care if it's a boring race because just simply having F1 cars at Magello is more than enough for me. So those are my thoughts. The thing, the only thing that could make it really interesting, the race is it's a new track. And it's a punishing track with all the gravel and grass. Can't just go on the runoff because there isn't any. So if there's a safety car or virtual safety car at the right time, that could cause some havoc. And the super fast corners will be punishing the tyres as well. I think it's going to be sunny all weekend too. So the tyres could could uh, have lots of degradation, which might push the teams into a two-stop. Those are the factors that could make it really interesting. But with the silly, silly engine mode rule and the track, yeah. which is going to be difficult to overtake on. I don't think we're going to see too much overtaking, but just having F1 cars at Magello, it, it, will be, it will be something else. It's a bit of an annoying year to judge tracks on racing, unfortunately, when mm. it's such a dominant Mercedes year. Because um, we go to like Silverstone and have boring races, Spa and have boring races where they're sort of traditionally known as the raciest tracks. Um, so it's a bit of a a bit of a short straw for Magello in that regard, but they've got the F1 race and they've seen that in Monza anything can happen if something does go a bit bonkers. So I mean, yeah, you can you can hope for something bonkers, but I think at the end of the day it will be a classic 2020 Formula One race, to be honest. Not classic, a, <laughs> a not classic, classic Typical. race. Typical. Yeah, typical. typical that's it. Yeah, I quite like both Silverstone ones, but maybe that's just me. Well, but um, the end was good. That's it. The second um, one was good. The end of the first one was good, but the rest of it was a bit naff. I thought. Um, going on from that, do we think Mercedes will suffer any tie-related problems here, or do you think they've either got on top of that, or or what kind of? Do you think that'll be a factor? Uh, I think. 
No, I think they will be clearing the clear in the way. I think, in fact, I think this will be the most dominant Mercedes we've seen so far this year. I'd, I'd expect them to be over a second clear, clear of the field at this track. They could just be able to carry so much speed through all of the track. Oh, They're yeah. not going to be slowing down having to speed up. Just be, they'll get to their level and then stay there. No one will be able to get to that level as they are, and they'll be at that level for more of the track, I think. Mm. Yeah, did this track is a the middle sector at Spa, uh, Puon, when they used to have gravel at Puon, this is basically, that is the middle sector of Magello <laughs> as well. It's going to be something else for, for the Mercedes. Uh, yeah, I, I, Mercedes should get a 1-2 in normal circumstances. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's uh, everywhere. Well, yeah, but yeah. like, even more so here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Should we do some predictions before we go on to the quiz? Yes, we should. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Nigel, you said it should be a Mercedes one too. Do you think it will be? Uh, no, I don't. It's going to be Hamilton, Verstappen, Albon. Podium. Freddie? Ooh. Hamilton, Verstappen, Albon. Okay. <laughs> Is Bottas just going to have like a retirement or something? I'm going to delve into this yeah. a bit more. Ooh. Uh, or is he just going to get stuck know. behind I'm a just, car? I'm just... <laughs> you might get a bad start. No, uh, Bottas getting bad starts. I won't have it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just having a guess, isn't it? A bit, bit like the guy who bet <laughs> on the podium. He had a bet on the podium for Monza. <laughs> yeah, he won 33,000 euros. Good on him. I mean, he only clearly put like 20 cents on it. But, um, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. Thirty-three thousand seems. Thirty-three. He got the whole podium, and then it was what one hundred sixty-six thousand to one. So if he only, so if he got thirty-three thousand euros on that, oh, okay. he would yeah. only put in the naught points <laughs> yeah. of euros to get oh, okay. to get that money. Yeah. But he's crying. He didn't put a tenner on it. He would have got in the millions. Poor betting company. <laughs> um, my prediction. Yeah, I'm stalling. Um, Hamilton, Bottas, Perez. Hopefully, see, finally, come on, Perez. See, when when I kind of hear stuff about people who win massive money on kind of really random bets like that one, I always think like that's fine. But I wonder how many times they bet. I wonder how many times they bet on like the equivalent of a Gasly sign stroll podium <laughs> and it not come. <laughs> Like, or, you know, like, and like they go through every year and bet on like Reading or whatever mm. to win the Premier League, especially when they're not in it, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm also stalling, so I'll go for <laughs> Bottas to win because oh, I feel sorry for him, yeah. I don't really know why, I can't really justify it, but there we go. Uh, Bottas to win, um, in second place, we'll go for. Lewis Hamilton, oh. and in third, I quite like the Perez shout, but I didn't think of it, so I'll go for Norris in third. Oh, I like that. Thanks. Mm. Double Brit podium, which is fun. Not the a British bias of this podcast. I've got a massive. prediction for you. Since we had the hundred ninth winner on Sunday, who will be the next new winner in F one? That's a good. That's, that's a good question. Great question. Yeah. Yeah. No, so um, I'll go with mine whilst you two think. We could do a whole podcast yeah. on that. You go, you go with yours, yeah. Oh, 
Why did I? Why did I say to go first? Because uh, you had an answer, presumably. <laughs> yeah, I did. But now I'm changing my mind. I'm just going to go with Perez. I don't know why. It could okay. be Nick Schumacher for all we you know. <laughs> could be. Yeah. Yeah. How about, how about you guys? Um. We're going to need to make random noises just so the listeners yeah. actually know we're well, still we here. Were <laughs> on, I was talking about Freddie the other day about kind of who I'd rank um, about my my kind of driver rankings. And I think at the top six was um, the drivers to have won races, apart from Ricardo and uh, not so, sorry, apart from Raikkonen and obviously Gasly. So. Um, but I said the next group was quite difficult. So it was Norris, Sainz, um, Russell that I kind of put there. So I think it'll be one of those. Um, I'll go with Norris. Okay. No, oh. Russell. Russell. I'll go with Russell. Russell. Interesting. Oh. Yeah. Based off the Mercedes link, probably. I feel like it, it could be any of them, I guess. It's just the fact that Russell was more likely to be in a race-winning car soon than the others, Choice. I think. I think Carlos Sainz. Yeah. Ferrari? I don't think we'll get a... Yeah, Ferrari 2022. Mm. I've, I've, there's no reason to think we'll get a new winner next year. Yeah. Because be it seems pretty stagnant. Yeah, because, I mean, who would have thought this time last year when Leclerc won his first race at Belgium, who would have said Gasly? Would have won. I don't think anyone yeah. would have, especially just after he got demoted. So. Oh, yeah. Albon. Uh, no. <laughs> He's in the plum seat for it, though. If there's if there's anyone you would look at it for the odds, you would go yeah, Albon based but, on the car. I mean, the fact we haven't even thought about him says a lot, doesn't it? No, I, <laughs> I, I just I, thought I, about him. I considered yeah, him. We, I considered him for mine, but I kind of thought if he'd bottle it. Well, I, I just thought, like, if Red Bull are the fastest car, then it's a lot more likely that... And they're only going to be the fastest car on the odd weekend anyway. And in that case, it's a lot more likely that Verstappen would take the win. So that was kind of my yeah. thought process of it. Um, Makes sense. And we don't know how long he's going to be in that car anyway. So, um, mm. yeah, I'm <laughs> not sure. Um, but yeah, that was a very good question, Nigel. Yeah. Um, I remember once arguing that Danny Kvyat could win a race because of his Ferrari links. That didn't go down well based on his form. <laughs> um, I was like, oh yeah, Ferrari, Ferrari had him as a development driver when he had his year out and now he's been picked up. Rebel clearly think he's very fast in the underlying speed because they bring him back so many times um, that maybe he will have links with Ferrari. When Vettel presumably leaves in 2024, said little, I don't know, 18-year-old me, didn't really go anywhere. Um, and for for a final <laughs> prediction, I'll go with who will finish higher, Gasly or Albon? This year? Albon. No, this race. Oh, yeah. this race? Oh. Yeah. <sighs> well, Albon. I'll go with Albon. I'll go with Gasly then. I have to, don't I? <laughs> you do, to keep up your... um. Hate hate parade. Yeah. Oh, no, because I said Albon would get on the podium. So yeah, no, Albon as well. Albon as well. Yeah, you said Albon was on the podium. Yeah. <laughs> Gasly's gonna win again. Gasly's in position zero. <laughs> Gasly's a safety car driver. Um Okay. Yeah. I think that's that's all on Modelo. Should we move on to the quiz, which will be on Modelo? 
Yes. Yes, we should, Adam. Okay. So I'm enjoying getting um getting input. Adam asking us where we should go in the podcast we've already planned. That's what I do, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> um, so it's, as usual with mine, it's split 50-50 between the coming track and the previous race. Um, so very exciting. The first question is, it's the Tuscan Grand Prix this weekend. What's the regional capital of Tuscany? Freddie. Yes, Freddie. Lawrence? Yes. <laughs> no no chance. Too <laughs> um, question two. How many corners does Magello have? Ready. Nigel. Oh, that, was, that was identical. I think that, that was, was Nigel. Nigel first. Yeah. Was it actually me, though? Or... Yeah. Yeah, it okay. was you. You go with it. Uh, I think it's 15 because I'm writing a preview for it. Freddie, do you want to have a guess? I was going to say 16. Neither of you are right. It's 17. No. Anyone want to buzz in? Not 15. 14? No. I'm going to try yes, Nigel. Except oh. I will just go and check. Yeah, 14. <laughs> Puccini is the turn 14. Ah, oh, Puccini, after the composer. Yeah. Um, the next question. So that's one all after Nigel got that. Who has the MotoGP lap record at the track? Oh, Freddie. Yes, Freddie. Maverick Vinales. No. Uh, Mark Marquez. Yes. Why did yes. I say Vinales? Vinales, <laughs> however you say it. It's obviously going to be Marquez. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> GP at all, but... I He's probably the one driver that I've heard of, or one of the few drivers that I've heard of in it. Riders. Rider, that's actually <laughs> sacrilege in the MotoGP. <laughs> I know Cal Crutchlow, because he's from Coventry, so they used to have coverage of in local. <laughs> but, um, if anyone um, doesn't like seeing the inside of bodies, don't check yeah. out Cal Crutchlow's latest Instagram post. Yeah, I saw that. It was grim. Oh. He posted... That's quite... the, he cut <laughs> open his arm, I think, as part as like an operation. He just filmed it. <laughs> you can just see him moving the inside of it. He like moves his hands. You can see all the muscle moving. It's really oh. gory. <laughs> the the way Freddie said that was kind of like, oh yeah, don't check this out if you don't like seeing it. <laughs> it's like don't press the red button. Um, <laughs> don't but, press it, God. If you yeah, it it was uh, it was pretty grim. It's like a uh, Darren no, Brown it's... kind of thing. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, the next question. So it's 2-1 to Nigel. Of the tracks on the 2020 calendar, which is closest in length to Mugello? So if you both have a guess, and then I'll give you the length of Mugello, and then you can have another guess. <laughs> He's just expecting us to get it wrong. <laughs> I know the length of Mugello again because I'm writing the preview, but I don't know which track will be closest. What's the length uh, of Mugello, Nigel? It, it's it in kilometres or what? I know in kilometres. I've got it, it written miles. down in kilometres. I think kilometers. it's 5.3. Okay. But I'm not sure which track. So I'm going to go with... Freddie. Oh. Yes, Freddie. <laughs> um... <laughs> I know how long Monza is, so I'm going off that. Monza's 5.7 kilometres, so I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say Catalonia. 
Barcelona. No. Okay. Are we going off this year's calendar or like the original 2020 calendar? The, the current calendar. Oh, the co- ah, oh great. Because I was, I was thinking, I was thinking Monaco. Of... Not Monaco, the other one. Uh, Montreal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other one. <laughs> uh, the other Nigel, one. Nigel, I'm going to go with Turkey. Yes. That oh, is, is it? Correct. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it's 93 metres longer. Oh, um, wow. Then the Nurburgring is 97 metres shorter. No, that's actually a really close question then. Yeah, yeah, no, I... There's four metres in it. Yeah. So Between had, two um, tracks we didn't think were involved in the original question. No, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I... Good question. Good How long's Montreal? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't write down everything. Exactly 5.3 kilometres to the metre. <laughs> Mugello is two point, uh, sorry, five point two four five k as well. Ah. Just for anyone who's interested, but they're not listening. Um, <laughs> how many tracks in Italy have hosted a World Championship Formula One race? Ready, including Mugello. Can't remember when I wrote this question, but Freddie, what are you, oh. Freddie? What are you going to go for? Well, I was going to say three. Yes, I'm fairly sure that's right. That's Which is Imola, Monza, Pescara. Yes. So it's yeah. four then. Well, Mugello hasn't hosted it yet. Yeah. Yeah, but it was... it's like. But in the, the question four, though, written did in you? the past, past <laughs> ten. Yeah, <laughs> that's also true. Um, Freddie, four. Yeah. Okay, Freddie <laughs> takes it again. Um, <laughs> so it is now 3 2 to Nigel as we go on to the. Italian Grand Prix post-race questions. The circuit Gilles Villeneuve is 4.4 kilometres. No, the current one is 4.3 kilometres. So that's wrong. Well, you tell them. I'm telling myself, really. (laughs) Um, Okay, question six. Where did Alex Albon finish in Q1. Nigel. Freddie. Oh. Nigel got there first. Also, I know this. 50, yeah. but he just got through. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked that. Fun um, fact, do you know where he finished in Q2? Yeah, 10. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the next question? No. Okay, thank you. There, there was a decent gap, though, I think. Oh, okay. And no one improved anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, next question is what lap did Vettel retire on? Freddie. Nigel just got there again. It was lap four? No. Freddie. Eight. Seven. Seven. Freddie, seven. No. Which one? (laughs) Opening. Uh, Yes, Nigel? Five. No. <laughs> Could be turning into a Danny Kvyat question. Ready? Yes, ready. 26, because he said Danny Kvyat. 26? I know it wasn't. What? He just said Danny Kvyat. <laughs> a red flag came out of that. I know. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> no. Nigel 2. Nigel yes, 2? Isn't that your name? Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to say 11. No. Have we said 6? 
I don't know. No, but that is the answer. Oh. Well done, Nigel. Um, yeah, lap six, brake failure. And it was quite scary as well. It was really kind scary. On, it was lucky that it was that corner. Because, I was you know, most scared when he came into the pit lane. Yeah, well, he was doing that quite slowly. He was, he was doing it slowly, yeah. But it was quickly. just like, oh, Seb, you've had a brake failure. Pull up immediately. <laughs> Please. Yeah. It's a good thing he didn't have a car in front of him, but he wasn't racing anywhere else. He could have gone right to the back of him. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay, so Nigel also gets that one, and he is storming ahead, I think. Isn't he? Five, two. Oh, well, then if he gets one of them, he wins. Yes. It's not two, so, is it? Oh, it is, I think. Yeah, I think you, you got the tracks two of Italian tracks and regional capital of Tuscany. Oh, yeah. So we go on to question eight, and that is, what was the highest finishing Ferrari-powered car at the weekend? Nigel. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was Kimi Raikkonen. Yes. For a bonus point, can either of you say where he finished? Freddie. He finished. Freddie? Yeah, Freddie. Yeah, cheater. Um, <laughs> no. 14th. What? No. Okay. Nigel, I think it was just outside the point in 11th. No, it was 13th. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, but another well, one. Nigel's won the quiz. Nigel's won. Not yet, you never know. This is how I felt in the hunt. You do know. You've got six. It's ten questions. You never know with Adam, he might deduct me some points for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) I might have just done a 15-question quiz for no reason. Um, Okay, next question is, Lewis Hamilton recorded the fastest ever F1 lap in history. Yeah. (laughs) Which I kind of, I feel like, I don't know, fastest... To me, I think the latest amount of time. But anyway, it's not about that. The question is, what was his average speed over the lap? Nigel. We'll go closest wins. Uh, Nigel. Was it? Yeah, 160. In miles an hour. Yeah. 165.6. 164.8. Freddie gets it. It was 164.267 miles an hour. So, Freddie, the reason, they, the reason they do it in um, miles per hour average, not lap time, is because of the different corners and stuff on different tracks. Yeah, I, I, I get it, but it's just like, to me... Well, then you can just go and do a lap that's one metre long. <laughs> yeah, but then... And that's you've the got shortest, to... fastest lap time in Formula One history. But then you've got to build a track that's one metre long, build enough facilities for F1 to <laughs> run there, and then persuade them to actually go there. And if you're in Britain, that's going to be a problem because there's always a British Grand Prix. So it's quite... It's yeah, not as easy but then like, you can just always have out. the Austrian Grand Prix, can't you? <laughs> yeah, or the Bahrain. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's a quick lap, but it's not in terms of average speed. Okay, and... The last question with, I think, 6-3. So, Nigel's already won, but, you know, he can extend his lead or Freddie can close it up a bit. 
what was the pole position lap time? Freddie. Yes, Freddie. 118.887. Yes. Was it that? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm very tempted. Yeah, I'll, I'll give two points for getting it bang on. Did I get it bang on? Anyway, yeah. Oh, six no five way. <laughs> yeah. This is why you write yeah. qualifying reports, ladies and gents. <laughs> Oh, um, damn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a v- very impressed. Um, wow. But yeah, it, not enough to overhaul Nigel. <laughs> not even with two points. A lot of pride in the scoreline. Oh, yeah. I don't care um, that I haven't won the quiz. I'm flexing this. <laughs> and oh, I should have, I've just seen on Wikipedia the 107% time. So I could have, uh, that could be a question for another week. But not this week. Nigel is still victorious. Um, I don't, is that four that he's won now? Uh, should me and Freddie a level, I think. Ooh. I think. Uh, oh, well. I'm not sure. We've had, we've had eight quizzes, have we? I need to make, because I'm writing the next one, I need to favourite to Adam then. Yeah. That's part of the yeah. competition, is writing the I say that, because then when I don't win, then it's even worse. You did that last time, yeah, didn't you? <laughs> um, but for now, that is all. We will look forward to a race at Magello, see what happens. Probably not very much, but who knows? And on Sunday, we will be there post-race to discuss what's gone on in the race and, yeah, all the talking points, all the fallout from that and any news that happens as well because we didn't think on... When we did the Monza preview, we didn't think that we'd be discussing Williams and Alpine so much. But that is all for now. Thank you to Freddie and Nigel for joining me and goodbye. Goodbye.